20 minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Welcome, everybody, to the 61st edition of the Pack-A-Day podcast. My name is Andy Herman. You can follow me on Cheesehead TV, where I'm a writer and uh, greater in analysis of all the Packers' plays this season. We'll get into that a little bit later. You can follow me on Twitter, at Scani Sports. And today I am joined by an incredibly special guest, uh, Michelle Bruton, who is a sports editor and reporter for Ozzy. She is a former writer for Bleacher Report and Cheesehead TV, I am incredibly jealous of her writing talent. She's an absolutely insanely talented writer and Packer analyst uh, and sports analyst and emo analyst and everything else <laughs> you could possibly imagine. We miss her incredibly at Cheesehead TV. You can follow her on Twitter at Michelle Bruton. Michelle, thank you so much for joining me today and taking the time. How are you doing outside of the lackluster play of the Packers? <laughs> thank you. First off, thank you so much for having me. Um, I know we've been wanting to make this work for a while, so I'm really excited to join. Obviously, always love hanging out with, chatting with my Cheesehead TV fam. Um, yeah, aside from that uh, horrendous showing of a game, I'm, I'm great. I was in Green Bay this weekend. It was lovely. Um, always fun to be up there. So, yeah. Now, I know one of your big takeaways from this weekend being in Green Bay was your procurement of Spotted Cow. I want to know, were you successful? How much did you get? And what is your escape plan for getting it back to where you live? Yeah, so, we, uh, so we're back in Chicago now. We were able to bring back a case of 30, I believe, and also okay. a six-pack. Um, so we're pretty happy about that. We also brought back some Moon Man. I know a lot of you guys out there think Moon Man is better than Spotted Cow. I don't necessarily agree, but we figured the more the merrier. Yeah, I'm more of a spotted cow guy myself, but uh, you know, either way, you're you're not going wrong with <laughs> that's for sure. I'm happy you were able to at least get uh, a decent amount back to Chicago. Yeah. So, so I want to kind of just start off before we jump into the game too much today. I always, whenever we have a guest on, I just like to uh, get a little bit about your background and your story. So tell tell me and our listeners a little bit about how you got into this whole crazy sports business and, and kind of your background and history as a Packer fan. Yeah, absolutely. So I um, I definitely grew up a Packers fan, and it's sort of a fun story as to why. Um, I grew up in New England, and uh, as everyone knows, the Packers played the Patriots in Super Bowl 31. I was eight years old, and uh, my entire family was rooting for New England, and I was a very ornery child. I liked to do things that weren't expected of me. I liked to kind of be different. Um, so I went the other way and I started rooting for the Packers mostly just to annoy my family and they won and I loved the feeling of being right. And so I just really like dug in and doubled down and kind of adopted them as my team. And obviously that was, you know, Brett Favre, Antonio Freeman. It was a great time to be, to become a Packers fan. So I definitely grew up a fan. Um, but I knew I wanted to go into sports as a profession, uh, and so I sort of tried to focus on the NFL as a whole. And now I actually cover all of sports from, you know, to soccer and rugby and, and tennis. So I uh, was the sports editor of my college paper at Williams College, which is a tiny little school in Massachusetts. And then when I graduated, I did a few different things. I did a lot of TV broadcasting. So I worked at Fox NFL Sunday just off screen, like behind Howie and you know, Mike and the guys, I was back there doing research. Um, I worked for Big Ten Network and TV production too. But my first real writing gig, and, uh, you know, where we're most of the people that we know kind of in our little circle um, where I met them was 
on Twitter when I started writing about the Packers for Bleach Report back in 2013. And it's kind of just all, you know, developed from there. That's awesome. That's a cool story. I love the fact that you brought out uh, the fact that you kind of became a Packer fan out of spite of your family. That's the second guest that we've had. Uh, Justice, <laughs> Justice Mosqueda also yep. became a Packer fan uh, to spite his family, although his was uh, the Super Bowl loss to the Broncos. So at least you got to, you know, ha- have the glory of uh, of your team winning in the Super Bowl, unlike Justice. But it's really funny that both of you have come on and said that you've become Packer fans despite your family. Right. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> that's fantastic. So thank you so much again for joining. We're so pumped to have you. Uh, let, let's kind of uh, unfortunately get to the not so fun stuff. What were your overall thoughts uh, on today's game? Where do, where do you think the Packers went wrong and what were your major takeaways? So obviously I think two things. The first thing is that by this point in the season, you know, there's, there's kind of a popular belief that it takes a team about four games to show its true identity because in the beginning of the season, like Bill Belichick does this a lot too. Teams either are trying some things out They don't necessarily want to show their best stuff or they're just not really finding their footing until that fourth game or so. And so by now, we should be getting some sort of sense of who these Packers are, what this team looks like. And I am at a total loss. It's I think maybe this happens every year. And then like recency bias, we always think every year is crazier than the last. But I truly don't remember not really having such a great handle on how I feel about this team in any given season as I do this year, because obviously Aaron Rodgers has still got his, you know, late game heroics in him. We saw that with the bears, but twice now they've fallen into, you know, 20 point and 18 point deficits, which is, you know, not the way you want to be starting off your football games. And ultimately I worry yet again. And I was, you know, talking to Peter Bukowski on his locked on Packers podcast a little while ago. And I mentioned that, I thought that the Vikings were objectively better than the Packers and people freaked out. And listen, today, right, we saw maybe maybe the Vikings aren't better than the Packers because the Vikings looked a little bit off today, too. But I think really what I what I meant by that was I just don't know. You know, these Packers have a lot of flaws. And I worry that once again, it's going to be the type of team where the offense is good enough to kind of keep them rolling along into playoff contention. But if you don't have a strong defense and looking at some of the other teams in the league, you're not, you just can't win a Super Bowl based on a few, you know, make something out of nothing plays from an immensely talented quarterback. It's not a replicable game plan. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I actually tweeted out today asking, what is the Packers identity at this point? What are they good at? What are they trying to accomplish and it's really difficult. I, you know, a couple of people tweeted back in humor saying, you know, th- their identity is that they're really good at punting now. And, you, right. know, you know, that is one strength, I guess, but it's really tough to pin down. And I think after the first two games, you know, we saw a team that was a player two away from being two and oh, and a player two away from being oh and two. And I think coming into this game, the hope was that we were going to be able to better identify, all right, is this a team that's, you know, potentially a 3-0 and type team that, you know, just kind of went through, you know, tough Chicago and Minnesota teams and now they beat Washington on the road? Or do they get beat by Washington and maybe they're closer to that 0-3 identity? And I just think it's, you know, it, it's really tough to pin down exactly what they're trying to accomplish. They, they haven't shown a, a true identity on offense, on, on defense. You can tell they're, they're still trying to figure things out with a new defensive core coordinator but but it, it was it was tough to watch at times today because as you mentioned they got behind early and then 
you know, they, they tried to pass their way back into it. They had more success running than they did passing and they, they could just never get in rhythm. So uh, it was tough to watch at times today. Yeah. And that's always a big problem for this team, right? Especially when you're trying to work in basically a three headed running back committee, you, once you remove the run as an option, because you're so far behind, I mean, the bears gave them a lot of help when they were trying to catch up. Washington didn't really give them any help today. And so they really took the run off the table and we saw how great, you know, Jones looked when he got out there, but ultimately, you know, McCarthy just couldn't go to the run when they were down in that big of a hole. Um, and it, it obviously totally stymies kind of whatever, you know, we, we'll never know the game plan that McCarthy had coming in because he had to change it so drastically just based on the hole they fell into. Yeah. And I know hindsight's twenty twenty, but they won the kickoff or they won the, uh, the coin flip and they chose to kick off instead of to receive. And in hindsight, I think in a game where you're coming off of a hangover, uh, you know, probably from last week, an emotional game where you played a ton of extra snaps, I think they probably could have used coming out to a strong start and maybe getting a lead, you know, if things would have went correctly, uh, rather than, you know, literally starting right out of the gates and unfortunately having the big play that went for a touchdown. I'm sure they wanted their defense to set the tone, but that was not the case. They allowed 28 points in the first half and it just seemed kind of over from the word go, unfortunately. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. All right. So I know the other big takeaway is going to be the Clay Matthews penalty from this week. And we'll touch base on that right away. Uh, penalties as a whole were an issue, 11 penalties for 115 yards. Some were questionable to be sure. You know, I, I think the team as a whole has, has tried to do as good a job as possible by saying, hey, we can't dwell on the penalties too much. I think the more you dwell on penalties, the more you kind of get away from some of the mistakes that they were making and it can become a scapegoat. But this is going to be a a talking point for the NFL, NFL sports writers and talk show hosts and everything for the course of the next week again, because Clay Matthews had the hit on the quarterback. It, it looked you know, completely like he was not trying to hurt or injure or anything in any way, shape or form. It looked like a you know, a form tackle as much as a form tackle can be. And of course the flag came out again. Uh, let, let, let me just start with you and, and let me know what your thoughts were on this play. Yeah. So it's, it's really, it's wild at this point. Um, I mean, you saw how Mike McCarthy just lost it and, you know, listen, Mike McCarthy is not the most composed coach in the world, but when he started chasing that ref down the sideline, I knew that we were in bizarro world, right? Like this is clearly Everyone is so frustrated that this keeps happening. And the Packers, this was a good stat on the broadcast today. The Packers were the least penalized team for roughing the passer last year with only one such penalty. This year, they are the most penalized team with it, and they've already got five. And as we know, a lot of that has been focused on Clay Matthews. And so, you know, I don't know if the league is trying to make an example out of Clay Matthews to try to get the spirit of this new rule across. But I think you know, everyone can agree. I mean, even, you know, Clay Matthews talked to Alex Smith after the game and he said, what could I have done differently on that hit? And Matthews or, and Alex Smith said, nothing, that's a football play. So even Alex Smith knows that there was nothing wrong with that tackle. And I thought a really great, I believe it was Zach Cruz tweeted out a really great side-by-side photo of Deron Payne falling on Aaron Rodgers and Clay Matthews falling on Alex Smith. And it, he basically said like, Hmm, looks like one of these people is falling with all of his body weight on a quarterback and the other one is totally trying to avoid it. And sure enough, you know, Jerron Payne just basically laid out on top of Aaron Rodgers, whereas Clay Matthews, you could see was his body was contorted away from Alex Smith. And 
ultimately, you know, he still got called and, and you can tell that he really just, he can't believe it. I mean, if you saw him speak to media at his locker after the game, he was dumbfounded. He was, you could tell he was trying to keep composed, but I think he just, he feels like he can't do his job. And the game has just become so ticky tacky and so technical that I think, you know, the, the NFL has a lot of issues facing it. And a lot of people have been turned off by various things, whether it's domestic violence or anthem, you know, kneeling or, or whatever. But ultimately, for people who watch the game for what's happening, you know, on the field, this, I think, is something that threatens the league almost more than anything, just because people are becoming so frustrated. They feel like the games aren't being determined by the actual play on the field. And I think they're going to stop watching if this continues. Yeah, I unequivocally agree, especially with that last part. It's a, it's a difficult thing to watch when a player gets tackled in the form that has been taught for years and years and years of this is how you play football. You're not trying to injure a player. I, I am all for the league wanting to be safe and nonviolent and all of those things. Those are all great, you know, check boxes to check off. I'm 100% on board. But football is football, and football involves tackling and hitting the guy with the football, period, end of story. And when you're, there has to be some sort of intent to injure or to lay out or to, you know, crush the quarterback more than what's necessary in order to, to have a penalty. When that becomes a penalty, when that exact play, and, and really the, the two plays that Clay Matthews had over the course of the last two weeks, I mean, nobody, I don't think there was a single person in, that I had noticed on uh, throughout the NFL or, or any fans that had any issue with Clay Matthews penalty in week one. He had right. no, you know, there's no, take that out of the game. I totally get that. We do not want quarterbacks hurt, but when, when a, a pure tackle with no intent to hurt becomes a penalty, I tweeted earlier this week, it became a very dark day in the NFL and for football in general, because they, the NFL, in my opinion, had two ways to go after that play last week. And the, the first way would have been to say, you know what, that was not the correct interpretation of the rule and or it was and we need to scale it back. That shouldn't be a penalty or they could have doubled down on it. And yeah, it would have stung to hear that they interpreted it incorrectly or that it was a bad penalty or a bad call and it cost Green Bay a win. But it was so much worse and the, the worst of two evils to come out and hear that that was going to be a textbook example of what a tackle or what a penalty was supposed to be for roughing the passer. And then it, it kind of came out uh, after this play immediately again uh, today already that that's exactly what they want to eliminate from the league. And, and again, I couldn't agree with you more that of all the things that I think people may want to turn the TV off for, I that was the most frustrated I've ever been. And I, I've been a part of a, a <laughs> as all of us have the fail Mary and all of these things. That was the most frustrated because it was just, it's a pure tackle. And I don't know what else you can do in that situation. Right. And, and in terms of making the game safer, there are so many things that I agree with. I mean, obviously helmet to helmet hits, you know, targeting, hitting guys at the knees, hitting the quarterback after he's released the ball. All of those things don't have a place in football. But when you're delivering a clean hit between the chin and above the knees, that's really all you can ask for. And I think if you're, if you're coming at a guy full speed and you have no time to kind of redirect or think about where you're going to hit or where you're going to do, of course you're going to, you know, fall down on top of him. And I think, you know, the issue that was taken was with the play that broke Aaron Rodgers' collarbone last year. There was clearly 
driving into the ground that happened almost after the fact. But at this point, it just seems that anyone who takes down a quarterback is now basically on trial until proven otherwise. And it's, it's just, it's really frustrating. And it's, it's mostly frustrating that the league just doesn't seem to understand. I mean, even Dean Blandino, who used to be the VP of officiating for the league, said on the Fox broadcast today that he thought that this had been incorrectly. Well, he didn't quite go that far, but he said that, you know, it it didn't look to violate the rule. And it's in the middle of a season now. I just don't know how they can make this right, because it's not like they have the whole offseason to watch more film or go over the rules of emphasis more. Um, It kind of just feels like this is going to be our ongoing nightmare this season. Yeah, that's that's the worry. And that's the frustrating thing at this point is uh, it it could continue to be an issue. And we've seen the first repercussion already. We saw the uh, Mike Daniels play a week ago where he was hesitant to bring down the quarterback when he still had the ball because he didn't want to. I almost wonder if there's going to be players that almost hedge in the other direction that just say, hey, if I'm going to get a 15 yard penalty and a fine anyway, and I know Clay didn't get the fine last week, but if if I'm going to get penalized anyway, I might as well obliterate the guy because, you know, it's going to be the same. If I, if I barely touch him, I'm going to get the flag. I might as well hit him as hard as I can uh, because, you know, at least that does something. Whereas it's going to be a 15 yard penalty either way. I, I think they've just, they've got to figure something out. I'm, I would much rather have it where they do not, you know, call the 15 yard penalty and change outcomes of the game in game and then go back midweek and find the players. If it's an egregious penalty after the point, like they do with flopping in the NBA, you might not catch all of them, but we're going to find you and we're going to penalize you after the fact. Right. right. Because I think it puts the officials in a tough position as well. And and again, it's just a frustrating thing to watch. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Let's not spend too much more time on that. Let's talk about something way more fun. The play of the Packers defense from the first half. (laughs) Oh, this is not fun. Um, so obviously there was a lack of pass rush. The safety play continued to be a little bit of a struggle. Coverage and tackling were a struggle, especially in the first half. I will say that they did bounce back nicely in the second half and made adjustments, but it's tough when you allow 28 points in the first half to to give too much credit to a defense after that point. What, what were your takeaway? I'll, I'll give mine first of all. The first thing is that I thought the run defense has to be a strength of this team. There's a lot of question marks on this defense. The run defense should not be one of those question Mm -hmm. marks. For a guy like Adrian Peterson at this point in his career to rush 19 times for 120 yards, 6.3 yards per carry and a touchdown and make him look like he was MVP style Adrian Peterson, that, <laughs> to me that's an egregious error and they have got to get their, their their run defense right because when you've got Kenny Clark and Mike Daniels, and I know Mo Wilkerson's probably gone now, but Mo Wilkerson, Dean Lowry, good, you know, as, as frustrating as Perry and uh, Matthews have been and the edge rushers have been against the pass rush or against the pass, you know, they're good edge setting run defenders. So that's got to be something that is a, a easy win every week is to stop the run. And that was not the case today. And I thought that was, that was very frustrating. What were your takeaways? I totally agree that stopping the run is, is something that this should be one of the few strengths of this defense. You know, I've liked what we've seen so far out of Josh Jackson and Jair Alexander in the secondary, but ultimately the defensive line is where the strength is on this defense. And so that was, you know, um, dismaying to me, but also, um, you know, I think that the problem, it's sort of like Groundhog Day. And that the problem year after year for this team is missed tackles and coverage issues. And a lot of it stems from the safeties. Unfortunately, a lot of it stems from HaHa Clinton-Dix and now Kentrell Bryce. And the thing I was sort of musing on Twitter today is that, 
you know, going back, we kind of always knew when he came into the league in 2014, Ha Clinton Dix was never known for his, you know, perfect fundamentals or technique. He was a playmaker. You know, that's what he was at Alabama too. And so far this season, to his credit, he's got two passes defended and two interceptions. So he, he has good instincts. He has a nose for the ball. But ultimately, that's not going to save you if you're out of position for every tackle or you're giving up huge plays. And at this point, the safeties are just a liability. And it boggles my mind that the Packers haven't thought about adding in someone a little bit more experienced in that group. Yeah, I'm on the same page as you as well again. You know, Haha Clan Dix is one of the most frustrating, if not the most frustrating player on this team for me to watch. When I go in and I, you know, break down the the game play by play and do that analysis, you consistently see him backing off on plays, playing passive. It, it seems at times like he's making business decisions that he does not want to come up and aggressively play the football. And and maybe that was a way that he had been coached at some point because he needs to be the last line of defense. But it, something's got to change because, you know, I, I'll give him full credit. I thought the interception today was a really nice play. I know some people said, well, yeah, they threw it right to him. But he, he <laughs> made a nice play, you know, ahead of that to get in that position. So, I, but that's got to change. And then Kentrell Bryce, you know, he had a nice first game. I, I, I kind of disagreed with McCarthy a little bit when he said he was the best player on defense week one. When I went back and watched it, I thought he had a nice game, but I wouldn't have gone that far. Mm-hmm. But the last couple of weeks, he's been an absolute liability. And uh, really the first four passing touchdowns of this season all were directly related to safety play uh, up until the Tremont Williams uh, touchdown to Jamison Crowder this game, where even that technically I think haha was a step late on it, but I'd put that more on Tremont at first glance. Uh, but the safety is uh, definitely a huge issue at this point. Yeah, and it's, you know, I think we had all really hoped, and I don't, I think we're going to talk about this a little later, so I won't get too far into it now, but I think we'd all really hoped that Oren Burks coming in especially with Jones, Josh Jones being out, that he could provide a little bit of that coverage um, ability, you know, over the middle, almost acting as sort of like a line safety um, at that point. And we can talk about whether we felt he did or didn't. But I do think ultimately that sort of all the contingencies and, you know, you can't pin everything even on Josh Jones either, because ultimately I just don't think they have the talent on the roster. Yep. I, t- I totally agree. There's a lack of talent overall on defense, and that's going to be something that's going to have to be addressed over time. Obviously, it's not going to get fixed in season. Maybe, even if they did add one player, I'm not sure how much that would that would change the overall outcome, but I guess time will tell. Um, offense wasn't a, a ton better today. There was a lot of drive-killing plays. I thought that was my big takeaway there. You had the, the Cobb drop early. You had the throw behind Devontae Adams that killed a play. You had another Randall Cobb drop. You had a Lance Kendricks drop that would have really got them deep into Washington territory. I thought that was a huge game-changing play. Of course, the Randall Cobb fumble. They were just never in rhythm. They were constantly playing from behind. I don't know if it was conditions or lack of focus, but what were your thoughts on the offensive performance today? Yeah, so here's tell me if you notice a common thread among all these drops. The Cobb drop, third and nine. The Adams drop, third and three. The Kendricks drop, third and 10, that other Cobb drop, fourth down. And so, you know, the fourth one down inside, the Packers went six of 14 on third downs today, which is never a recipe for success. You've got to be able to extend those drives. Those were, you know, four drives that Aaron Rodgers, even if he had gotten into the end zone on only half of them, they would have, you know, won this game. And so it just comes down to the idea that ultimately, I think it's just what you said. It's when you're killing your opportunity 
to put points on the board that many times, of course you're not going to win the game. Yeah, it was frustrating to see Green Bay beat themselves a lot this game. Washington played well, give them credit, but there were a lot, a lot of plays left on the field, both on offense and on defense. Yeah. Aaron Rodgers working his kind of way back from injury. He was 27 of 44 today, 265 yards, two touchdowns, no picks. He did take four more sacks. We just kind of touched base on a lot of the drops that he had, would have had for sure over 300 yards and probably, you know, closer to 30 or 31 of 44 um, if, if those were completed. I thought he looked pretty good, you know, mostly looked like himself. You could see he was limping around a little bit. He was able to scramble. I thought, I thought maybe, he, you know, he scrambled a little bit more this week than he did last week. One of the plays that I thought was a little bit telling, you know, and maybe why they were working so much short and intermediate today, the very last play of the game, which was obviously a throwaway, it didn't matter in any way, shape or form, but where he was trying to launch the ball to the opposite side of the field, uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, and mm-hmm. it just came up super short. You know, that's a play that, you know, that's a throw that, you know, while difficult, he can he can easily make or at minimum, even if it wasn't complete, you know, get it to Marquez Valdez-Scantling with no issue, even if it's broken up, you know, right. to have that fall, that play fall so short, uh, I thought was maybe indicative of, of him not maybe being able to plant the way he would like, or maybe just not get as much behind it as he would like. Uh, he had the beautiful throw to Kendricks down the field. So I think there, you know, he still has the ability, same thing with the Geronimo Allison touchdown, but uh, you know, how did you feel he looked? Did you th- feel he was like himself or, you know, was there maybe some in- lingering injury issues there? Yeah. So I, first of all, I have to say, I think, you know, FedEx field, which in my opinion is the most atrocious field in the league on a rainy day, I'm just, I think the win from today is that Aaron Rodgers got out of there without further injuring himself. Yeah, that's true. Um, Cause this is a field that basically claimed the career of RG three. You know, this is a field that a lot of guys have gone down on. Uh, and it's to me, this is a tangent, but it's irresponsible that they continue to put such a poor field out there year after year. But that's a tangent for another day. Um, <laughs> player safety is number one in the league. Yes, exactly. Right, right. Fine, fine Washington for having horrible <laughs> conditions and just generally being a trash franchise. But um, <laughs> so, uh, so I, I thought about that too with, with the planting. Um, he did look really ginger out there. He said after the game that he, uh, he doesn't think that he exacerbated the injury in any way. Mike McCarthy said that, uh, Rogers was scrambling around a little bit more than he would have liked, but that's Rogers. You're never going to have him totally mobile back or static back there. For sure. And I think um, the thing about Rogers, it's kind of funny is if he has to have any injury, he is mobile. You do want him to be able to move around, but it's almost the thing about Rogers is that he is so wild when he throws, like, it's not like he's getting, doing his perfect um, dropbacks and then planting and then throwing like, exactly the way he should every time we've seen this guy throw with both legs in the air with one foot in the air jumping across his body like he'll throw it from wherever and it's almost like his mechanic mechanics almost don't matter as much for him because he's so good and he's so um able to kind of make something out of nothing and so that's I think that the silver lining here is that I don't think ultimately the knee is hampering him too much because I think he is someone who has the power and the ability and the accuracy to throw, even if his footwork's not perfect. And we've seen people criticize his footwork over the years, including his coach. But ultimately, I think he's okay. Um, And I think that, you know, this is something that, you know, Mike McCarthy said today, this is something he's going to be dealing with for a long time, if not all season. So if they have to adjust the game plan a little bit, like you said, if they have to go more short or intermediate, you know, it's, it's going to be, I think something that 
they're just going to have to work around. And I think we're going to get to this. But the thing that really worries me that's going to make Aaron Rodgers' life a lot harder now is if Brian Bulaga is very injured. Yeah, it's a perfect segue there. The next thing I was going to touch base on were the injuries from today. Uh, it looked like the the biggest one was Mo Wilkerson. He mm-hmm. had the ankle injury carted off, to, and then it was noted later he was actually taken off on an ambulance. Uh, it, it would seem that there's a, a lot of concern that he's done for the year. Uh, Nick Perry had a concussion. Justin McCray had a shoulder issue. He came out of the game. And then, of course, as you just mentioned, Brian Bulaga with a back injury who had to be replaced by Jason Spriggs. I have not heard any clarification on how bad that Bulaga's injury is supposed to be. Have you heard anything on that at all? I haven't seen anything further, no. So it's sort of just everyone's waiting with bated breath at this point. Yeah, that would, I agree with you. That's the big one. You know, Mo Wilkerson stings a ton, but, you know, they have a lot of depth on that defensive line. And, and I think they'd be, you know, just fine there. You know, if something were to happen, of course, you'd love to have him back. You know, Nick Perry, if it's a concussion, you know, unless it's Sam Shields-esque, you know, usually that's a one or two week thing at most. Uh, Brian Bulaga would be absolutely the biggest one. Justin McCray, they can fill in. But the the drop off between Brian Bulaga and Jason Spriggs is absolutely enormous. Uh, you know, the first handful of plays, Spriggs looked really bad. I didn't notice him for the most part the rest of the game, which is a good sign. Uh, but I would have a ton of concern there if Bulaga has any sort of long-term injury. Right. And the thing that I've been saying all year so far is that I thought it was kind of funny how coming into the season people were so you know you know the sky is falling about the Packers offensive line because sure you don't have two all pro guards anymore but if you've got David Bakhtiar and Brian Bulaga you've got some of the best pass blocking ability in the league you're gonna be fine of course now I might have to change my tune a little bit if you lose Brian Bulaga suddenly this line is one that looks a little inexperienced, a little young, you know, a little questionable ultimately. And so I think of all the injuries, like you just said, that's the one that could really be a difference maker. I know that there's a lot of worry about Wilkerson and obviously that's terrible for him. You just, you know, you saw him when he was coming off on the card and he had his head in his hands and you could tell he was just devastated. And he was on that one year deal, probably hoping to kind of get a final deal to play out somewhere. So, but I think the defense is better equipped to bounce back from that. I think Ultimately, like this, this is why they traded up to get Spriggs in the first place was for something exactly like this. And so you just hope that and that was, you know, still, obviously, Gudekinst was in the room at that point, but that was kind of Ted's call. So now you kind of hope that maybe that's kind of like one of the last gifts that Ted Thompson gave this organization is maybe Spriggs can, can hack it and he can step up and be a starting caliber player. But ultimately, we just haven't really seen that from him yet. Yeah, I'm going to more, you know, pray that uh, Brian Bulaga can be somehow like Frankenstein back together to, <laughs> to uh, be pieced together to play the right tackle in any way, shape or form. But no, I hear you. If he could step up and, and play at a serviceable level to the Packers defense, there's, you know, most teams around the league don't even have two good tackles. You know, Eric Flowers has been starting for the Giants forever. And, you know, it's a it's a really tough position to fill all across the league. It's, it's almost unfathomable to have three good ones, but uh, the drop off from Bulaga to to Spriggs definitely at at least to begin with is significant but maybe he can kind of grow as the season goes along if it were to be something serious Mm -hmm. Um, really quickly uh, we we kind of touched base on both of these you know just a little bit but the debuts of Aaron Jones and Oren Burks uh, Burks had two tackles credited to him including on his very first play in the game or as an NFL player he got in and made a solo tackle and then Aaron Jones uh, six carries 42 yards seven yards per carry uh, also had a catch for five yards. What were your impressions of these two making their debuts? 
Yeah, so obviously um, my hopes were really high for Burks. Um, I don't know that he blew them out of the water, but he also didn't give me anything to kind of cringe about either. I think it's great that they finally have him in the rotation. I know they started Antonio Morrison in base, and I haven't seen the final snap counts yet, but that's the thing with Burks, right, is that he brings that coverage ability. And with these Packers linebackers, so many of them are great run defenders, but especially given the deficiencies at safety as well, you need coverage linebackers. And so I'm really glad that he's kind of in the rotation now. Aaron Jones looked great. And I think a lot of people were frustrated at how little McCarthy used him today. But I think, A, the game plan was probably always to work him in slowly because Jamal Williams has looked pretty good. And B, like we talked about, when you're in an 18-point hole, you can't be running the ball, you know, three times uh, on every given drive. So I think that ultimately, I don't know. I mean, I think that he, it's both a blessing and a curse that he, Williams and Montgomery are so complimentary, but so different because they all bring something different on the field. They are great change of pace backs. They can keep defenses guessing. They have different skill sets, but the worry I suppose is that McCarthy's never quite going to get the snap counts right. And he's never quite going to get the right mix or usage. I think it's great to have a bunch of talented guys. I don't think Packers fans would be opposed to having a knockout workhorse back who can just like a Todd Gurley back who can just carry your team. Um, And obviously the Packers haven't really had that in a very long time. So ultimately, you know, I think I'd like to see Jones kind of get a little bit more usage. I hope that McCarthy ultimately doesn't feel that he has to spread the ball out so much among that backfield, because if one of those guys is going off, and I suspect it might be Jones at certain points, just let him run with it, literally, no pun intended. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I was actually, uh, one of the things I was interested in, I was listening to some of the pregame radio today, and they were talking about this in Atlanta quite a bit of how, you know, Coleman and Devontae Freeman are actually, you know, can can kind of counteract each other too, where they don't, neither of them get going because of the presence of both of them and that how they're actually five and oh, when only one of them plays uh, rather (laughs) than both of them. So I think there can be a little of that where it can almost be a, a, you know, a a struggle to to get each of them their touches. And then all of a sudden nobody gets in a rhythm. I'm a full believer that Aaron Jones needs at least 15 touches a a game in some capacity. And I don't care if that's out of the backfield. I don't care if that's rushing the ball, even if you use him as a kick returner uh, in whatever capacity that may be. I think he needs to touch the ball at least 15 times, you know, seven yards per carry in his first game back today. And you saw some of the juice and the uh, athleticism and the things that he's able to bring to the table. But I do agree with you. I think regardless of what their plan was, and it should be noted, he did have more carries than any of the running backs. It was only by one, but he did have the most carries. And uh, I think once they got down by so much, it was tough to really get him ingrained and, and give him a ton of snaps. But I think in most scenarios, I'd like to see him get the bulk of the carries. Right. Absolutely. All right. Final thoughts, Michelle, on today's game and uh, anything that you'd like to add in general? So I guess the thing that's kind of on my mind now is that, geez, I I thought that the Packers would get a nice little break facing these Buffalo Bills, and now I'm not so sure about that anymore. So all of a sudden, you know, that game, uh, which I think most people would have confidently circled for a W on the schedule heading into the season, you know, now that looks like a, a real roadblock, right? I mean, if they lose that game, all of a sudden they're they're really in quite a hole to start the year. And the good news is that, you know, the kind of other projected NFC North powerhouse, the Vikings are also in a little bit of a hole, but it's like, 
what a bizarre circumstance to have the lion. The bears are atop the NFC North right now. And, you know, the lions are, um, they're playing now, but you know, it's, it's really just, it's, it's a little wild to me that the bills undid these Vikings and could potentially do the same to the Packers and just a little bit crazy how the NFC North is shaking out so far this year. Yeah. On the plus side, you know, at least they won't take Buffalo for granted now. Exactly. You know, they got, they got the league's attention and said, Hey, we're, you know, we're not just going to lie over and, and get beaten by everyone. So, you know, Green Bay is going to have to take them seriously and hopefully Green Bay has a sour taste in their mouth uh, from this game and, and will be ready to play next week on the plus side as well. Of course they beat Minnesota, which is a good thing. And then, uh, you know, Green Bay likely has a slightly easier matchup three weeks from now against San Francisco, uh, than they did, you know, prior to today with likely Jimmy Garoppolo tearing his ACL. Not that we would ever want to see that. I'd rather have him playing and uh, obviously beat them straight up. But that now seems like a, a easier matchup with Jimmy Garoppolo potentially out of that game. So that could, I guess, help things down the road. Uh, a couple other things I just quickly wanted to touch base on. I thought McCarthy always talks about fundamentals. He brings it up, uh, you know, ad nauseum. He brings it up over and over and over and over. But I think the you know, fundamentals of play calling and how you manage a game is something that they have to seriously address. And that starts with running the football and stopping the run. And I know this is a passing league, but this is an offense that's been predicated upon large, you know, chunk passing plays. And they've set those up by running the ball and working off of play action. And if they don't have a running game going or they don't show it consistently enough, you know, they average 5.9 yards per rush today and only 4.9 yards per pass. So they have the ability to rush the football. They showed that last week and they got away from it. You have to start by running the football, setting up the play action, and then getting those big plays. And then same thing on defense, stop the run, get them into third and long situations. I think Mike Pettin's shown his, at his best and at his most creative when they've been in third and long situations. Uh, but if you don't set those situations up, I think it's going to be a very long season for Green Bay. So those are the two areas where I'd really like to see Green Bay improve upon going forward. Yeah, I think that's really astute. All right. So Michelle, I know you recently launched the Aussie Sports Twitter account at Aussie Sports. And I know you're kind of working on a couple things right now, but where can people follow you and, and where can people find your work? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, if if um if you follow me, if you if you like kind of my, you know, shtick on Twitter, I'm also um primarily I have a little bit of help, but I'm uh, running a new project, the Aussie Sports Twitter, which is the Twitter for our vertical, the huddle. And it, you know, we'll share out all of the work that we do on the site across all sports, um, but definitely a lot of NFL. And, you know, if you if you would be so kind to go follow that, that would be really great. Um, it's been really fun to kind of get to manage a brand account in addition to my personal account, because there's things that you would or wouldn't post on on either one. And yeah, ultimately, I'm, you know, I'm at Michelle Bruton on Twitter, and I'm doing a lot of editing, but also a lot of reporting at Aussie. I have some fun things coming up um, about sort of the NFL in general, um, hoping to get, you know, some more Packers coverage whenever I can. That's always fun, of course. And yeah, just thank you so much for having me on. I always love kind of keeping in touch with the Packers community, even though I'm not writing on them as much as I was before. Um, obviously, it's a subject near and dear to my heart. Well, thanks so much for joining us. We, we greatly appreciate it. I greatly appreciate it. I've been wanting to do this for some time. I'm glad we were able to finally set it up. Sorry, your trip to Green Bay didn't go exactly as planned to exiting with a Packer victory, but at least you've got Spotted Cow to help uh, ease your pain <laughs> with that a little bit. Um, again, make sure to follow Michelle uh, at Aussie Sports and at Michelle Bruton on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter at Scotty Sports. You can follow the podcast at Packaday Podcast. 
Make sure to listen tomorrow as Jake Morley and Ross Uglum break down the game. Ross is usually really amazing in these situations, coming off a loss and really diagnosing some of the more ridiculous things that you know happened in the game. So make sure to give that a listen tomorrow. As always, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for joining us, Michelle. Make sure to go follow her and read her stuff. She's the best. Uh, and as always, go Pack Go. Six seconds to go. Ball just outside the four. Roger shotgun looks to his right. Snap to A-Rod. Throws right side. Yes! Touchdown! And a dagger! The dagger to Andrew Paulus on the right side! Aaron pointing to the right now. Gets the snap. Looking. Throws left side of the end zone. Leaping right yes! to Bantayana! Yes! Touchdown! Green Bay! A spectacular throw and catch to the left side of the end zone! Rodgers from the 42 New York, fourth down and two. Snap to A-Rod. Looking downfield, scrambles right. Now, winds up, rainbows, into the end zone. It is caught.